If I could sing like that, I'd be hard to live with, I tell you. And Glenda would say, you already are hard to live with. Mm. It's beautiful to be with you guys and uh, to enjoy this evening and uh, to enjoy, enjoy this entire week. It seems like, uh, in some ways, we've been together for a long period of time, but in other ways, it's just a flash. And tomorrow we will conclude with uh, our um, biennial meeting. Um, and I'm glad that uh, Brother Ted straightened us out last night. This is not a biennial meeting. It is a biennial meeting. It only took us 80 years to figure that out. But uh, stick around if you possibly can, if you're an ordained minister, and if you'd just like to participate, see how we do things. Um, and he said it would be a short meeting, and that really depends on the number of rotten eggs that are brought uh, by the participants to throw at those of us who are the board members. So if you if you want to keep it to a short meeting, don't throw very many rotten eggs, all right? Uh, seriously, this is one of the most peaceful boards I've ever been a part of. I've been on a lot of boards. Uh, but these guys love one another, and uh, we work together uh, beautifully. And, uh, you know, if we, if we don't agree on something, the five executive members, if we don't agree on something, we just shelve it until we can all agree on it. And uh, we just uh, wait till we hear from the Lord and, and His direction. And so it'll be a great time as we hear from, uh, but the Ken's going to bring us bring us the financial information for the previous year. What an incredible uh, thing God is doing in our finances and uh, in our mission works. Um, Brother uh, Johnson brought to us some of the in- information this afternoon. Uh, it's exciting to be a part of a group like this that reaches around the world and has for all these years and um, you're a part of that. And so we thank you. We appreciate each and every one of you. We really do. I want to thank um, uh, Brother Mark Maynard uh, for last night's message. And I want to thank him. Man, that was fantastic. And I want to thank him for reaching in there and pulling out my text and all my notes and all my thoughts and my bullet points and sharing those with you, enabling me to reconstruct today. Hallelujah. It's good, though, when God's speaking along the same theme. Is that right? Our theme this year is is lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher. You know, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, come on, your preachers, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. Our responsibility is to lift him up. His responsibility is to draw men to him. The Spirit doesn't work in someone's life. We can't do much with them anyway. But the Holy Spirit is just wanting to do works in individuals' lives that will be available if we'll lift Jesus higher. So that's why we're here this week, to lift him higher. Would you just take one more moment and just stand to your feet, everyone? And what a beautiful song, Brother Woody just led, just sang for us. And Brother Ken, the beautiful music, the, the, the picking. I love the picking. I love the, yeah, these guys up here have been picking. I don't know if you noticed or not. We've got some professional guys. And, you know, these guys are playing and they're doing it all for the work of the Lord. That's what I appreciate so much about them, each and every one of them. These beautiful singers, these girls, I wish I could sing like that. And I've got to brag a little bit because I had a, I had a daughter-in-law up here singing tonight, which she hasn't got to do in a long time since she started having this grandbabies. And uh, so the Lord put her back on the worship team. Thank you for that, Sister Sherry. And uh, then back here singing was her little brother, Josh. And uh, these two wonderful uh, guys have been part of our family for a long time. And Curtis Reese is here. My, Let's see, what is our relationship? We share grandchildren, right? What is it? In-laws, outlaws? You, anyway, anyway, you're, his, his beautiful daughter married my <laughs> handsome hairy-legged boy. And uh, he has three beautiful grandchildren. They were on the front row until they heard Papa was preaching, and then they're gone. They're out of here. I, it's actually a, a, a nap thing. They're going to rest somewhere. You didn't get to go. You're not going somewhere to rest. I want you to shout with me tonight. I want you to be in this, me, this message for the next few moments tonight. Can you do that? This is our last time together like this. And uh, so I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. We're going to lift Jesus higher in this place. Father, we're just honored and thrilled, the Lord, to our very, the depth of our being. Come on, reach over and join hands with somebody, would you? And Lord, we are just uh, so excited to 
to be called by your name and, and to be graced with your presence and to know that we have the opportunity in this lost and sinful world, Lord, to share the message of Christ, the message of the gospel, the message of his cross and him crucified. Oh, what a wonderful message it is and what a glorious opportunity we have every single day of our lives. So, Lord, don't let us miss it. Don't let us get lackadaisical. Don't let us get to the place where we don't care or where we don't where we just look past people. And may, Lord, may our hearts be turned toward you and the, 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 the incredible harvest that is before us in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Give them a shout of praise before you're seated, would you? Amen. 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 Praise God. You may be seated. God bless you. My message tonight in order to lift Jesus higher is to revive the church. The word revive means to bring to life something that is dead. Um, <laughs> and the good news is the church is to be revived. The good news is you and I are to be revived. So I want to talk about that for a few moments this evening. In less than one, wow, I felt something. That was good. What was that? Was that reverb or something? In, one, in less than one year's time, the Welsh revival of 1904 to 1905 saw 100,000 people saved. I'm going to repeat that statement because I interrupted myself, which I hate to do. In less than one year's time, the Welsh revival of 1904-1905 saw 100,000 people saved. So much so that, that uh, Wales was called the land of revival for a number of years. I was reading, uh, interestingly, recently in Wikipedia, and that was the last revival in Wales. Wales is now a godless nation like so many European nations are. But this great moving of God's spirit came through the preaching of a 26-year-old preacher. How many of you in this room are 26 years old or younger? Wave at me. I know you've got the energy to wave tonight. You can do that. A few of us. A few of us. Yeah. Thank you to the, the folks who went out last night with the team, with the group. Did you guys go to BJ's after all? Is that where you went last night? All the youth leaders and young people and so forth. And, and we had to twist some arms. It was really a tough gig to get a couple of youth pastors to take a bunch of other youth pastors out for food after church. But we got some guys to agree to that. And, and uh, so we treated your leaders. I think we ought to thank the fellowship for that. Come on, can we at least do that much? Well, here's a 26-year-old preacher who, after having uh, prayed for revival for 11 years, saw the hand of God move in his nation, and 100,000 souls were brought to Christ in one year's time. An incredible, miraculous revival called the Welsh Revival. Do some study on that sometime, if you will. This young man's name was Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts. Did you catch it? I said he prayed for revival for 11 years fasted and prayed and trusted God. Now, if he prayed for revival at 11 and revival didn't happen until he was 26, that tells me he started at about 15 years of age. Am I right? God give us some 15-year-olds who are praying for revival in their schools and in their communities and among their family and their, their neighborhoods. Amen. Amen. So many were converted and evidenced truly changed lives in such a short period of time, as I mentioned, that the nation of Wales even became known as the land of revival. In 1932, about three decades later, revival came to North China through the prayers of a single woman missionary by the name of Marie Munson. It's reported that as God's word freely spread, more people were saved. One, one missionary estimated 3,000 in his town. More people were saved in that year in North China than in any previous year. May I, I just want to share something with you. You may or may not know, but it's estimated now that in China, uh, there are some 50 to 100. It's hard to tell because it's illegal and it is a communist nation and they have a state-run church that you have to participate in and be a part of and so forth and so on. But you can imagine what they preach. But the true church, okay, born-again believers like you and I, it's estimated now that there are between 50 and 100 million in the nation of China with communist rule. 
Man, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. In 1936, revival broke out on the campus of Wheaton College in Illinois. Faculty and students began to confess sins of pride and criticism, and get this, and cheating. Well, cheating was a sin in, the, in 1936. I don't know if it's still wrong to do that nowadays. I, I had a lot of repenting to do when my school days were over. Mealtime was often skipped and unnoticed uh, because of God's reviving work continuing in the hearts of these students. Gospel preaching missions works around the world were the result of that revival and that season of prayer. But today is not 1904, it's not 1932, it's not 1936, it's not any other date of any previous revival. This is 2021. Yes. Pastor, do you really believe that revival can happen in 2021? Yes. I do. I do. Do you believe that revival? can happen, should happen, will happen in 2021. Come on. I long for the reviving work of God among his people once again. I want to lift Jesus higher. I want to do my part. I want to be found in the last day when the Lord returns and he comes with his rewards. I want to be found as one who's done all that I've been called to do, all that I have been chosen and commissioned to do. I can't do anything he hasn't called me to do. But let me tell you something. I can do everything that he has called me to do because he will equip me for that and, and you as well. And I don't know of a greater need for any nation or for our churches or for my own life. I don't know of a greater need than revival to bring back to life that which is dead, that which has lost its vigor and its vitality and is cold and complacent. Now, I'm not speaking of any independent assemblies. Churches, of course not. None of our churches are that way. None of our ministers would have lost their luster or their fire. But I'm praying for revival around the world. If that includes you, then jump in there. Come on. Let's believe God for revival. As Leonard Ravenhill said, however, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. As long as we're content to live without revival, we will. We can go on day after day and year after year stating our desire for revival and preaching about revival, but being content to live without revival. Or we can ask God for a holy discontentment. Come on, somebody. A holy discontent for anything less than his reviving work in our hearts and through our lives. Now this evening I can't give you a specific prescription for revival. However, we do know that God has promised to revive the individual who is contrite before him. Go with me if you will to Isaiah 57 or look at the screen and read it along with me as I read. For thus saith the Lord high and lofty. <laughs> high and lofty. Let's try high and lofty. High and holy, that sounds even better in the, uh, in the ESV. High and holy, thus saith the one who is high and holy, his name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He will revive the spirit and the heart of the contrite ones, the humble ones. You see, God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. The proud is the arrogant, the humanistic, the, the man or woman who thinks they've got all the answers and they can do everything by themselves. After all, they've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. They've made themselves what they are. They don't really need a God. And God says, it's fine, I'll just resist you. But I'm looking for someone who is humble. I'm looking for someone who will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. I'm looking for someone who will say, Lord, without you I can do nothing. I just can't do anything without you. And to that individual, God gives his grace. Come on, somebody. He gives grace to the humble. And he, he says, I'll revive that one who's humble and contrite before me. Now, I want to give you this evening six characteristics that are present in revival. And they're going to form an acrostic. And uh, it's going to make the word revive. I would have made the word revival, but I couldn't think of one that started with an L. So we're going to say revive. 
<laughs> First of all, there must be repentance. Write it down as you will. Take it home and preach it. You'll do a better job than I. Flesh it out. Preach it on your own. Teach it to your people. Re revival is the result of an humbled heart. I'm not talking about an acknowledgement, yes, I could do better or something like that, but an acknowledgement of brokenness over sin. <clears throat> This is when we call the, the self-life, the self-focus, the ongoing pride of our hearts, sin. When's the last time you called it sin? When's the last time you just labeled it a problem, a disorder, dysfunction? Just, uh, you know, something that happens in my past. I, I'm really, I really can't help myself. I am a, it's a generational thing in my life, see. I wouldn't lose my temper so often, but I'm Scottish. I'm Irish. See, I wouldn't want to fight you, but I'm German. If that's the reason. That's, that's what it is in me. See? But when you call sin, sin, then you begin to see that it is the root of your distance from God. Amen. May I suggest that repentance is the vomiting of sin? Ooh, it's pretty graphic language. Think about it for a moment. What do you do when you vomit? You project something out of your system. Your body is trying to eliminate something. Yeah. And, 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 and so repentance is the vomiting of yourself. Oh. Myself, my self-will, my self-life, my own doubt, my own pride that is within me. It is a disgust of sin that involves godly sorrow and turns us to Christ for cleansing and for change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, read with me. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. It's going to be the sorrow of the world, it's going to be godly sorrow. See, we usually like to skip over anything that deals with repentance. In fact, even though the majority of us are Christian workers in this room, or we're, we're pastors, we're evangelists, we, we lead congregations and so forth, even, even in this crowd, we would just assume that I hurry up and get to the letter E because repentance is starting to work on me. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'll just stay right here and camp for a while then. Is that all right? Yeah, I know I, I need to be right with God, but I think I'm doing pretty well in my spiritual walk. After all, I'm way, I am miles ahead of this guy. I know, I know I'm, I, this guy can't even compete with where I am. Oh, I know there are areas of my life that I, I could certainly use some help, but I'm doing pretty good in my walk. You know, when, when, when Jesus called the church at Ephesus back to their first love, he did not skip over repentance. He spoke to them in the book of the Revelation, the second chapter, the fifth verse. And he said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Everybody say repent. Amen. He spoke that to a church, didn't he? Repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove your candlestick out of its place. I'm just going to take my light and my liberty and my love and I'm just going to take my fire from your church. Could it be that's why a lot of our churches are not hot and on fire? Oh, we still know how to have church. We, we've got the politics down. We've got the procedure down. We got the presentation down. What's missing is godly sorrow uh -huh. over sin. What's missing is a failure to acknowledge that yes, we are involved in sinful nature from time to time, or sinful acts from time to time, and we need to repent. Amen. Don't shout me down at this point. <laughs> but if we don't repent, we're not going to lift Jesus higher with our lives. We're not going to fulfill what he's called us to do as a fellowship. I'll tell you something. When I read this verse earlier this week, and um, I read about the candlestick being removed from the church, I thought of this fellowship, and with tears, I cried and prayed over ministers and churches and works in this fellowship that I know of. Not because I know you're in problems or you're in, or, you know, got all these things. No, that's not it. That's not it. But the Holy Spirit just, just burdened me tonight. He burdened. Is it okay to have a burden for the churches? 
He troubled me. I like to preach a, a fiery shout, yes and amen kind of sermon. That'd be a lot more fun, wouldn't it? We could jump up and we could run, we could run the pews. I was in a pew running church one time. I really was. I know you're going to find that hard to believe. I know you're going to find that very hard to believe about me, but I was in Bible school in the 70s. And uh, so I've already dated myself with some of you guys, but I was in Bible school and it was a tradition with our students that on Sunday nights we would go and visit various churches in the neighborhood, in the, in the community, the city. So in Tyler, Texas, there were a lot of churches and I went to a church one, one night that I didn't know anything about. I just knew they were a little Pentecostal or something. I, I thought they may have kind of believed like we did. And so I attended that church for that service. I was sitting in that service and the music was pretty loud and pretty fast. And that drummer had it going, and man, I'm, we were going. And then the song leader said, let's all just jump for Jesus, jump for Jesus, jump for Jesus. So we all just started jumping. Well, I wasn't really used to jumping in church, but it looked like it was okay, so I jumped a little bit. I got her going, and I, I figured out I could jump on time with the music. So I jumped, we jumped, we jumped, we jumped. And after we've been jumping for a while, now if this is the way you do it at your church, that's wonderful. I love you. And I, I, I wouldn't make fun of you at all. I just want to tell you my story. Too late. Too late. <laughs> all right. Let me just tell you how I deal with it. Okay, next point. Let's get to the... <laughs> So we're jumping, and then the song leader says, let's run for Jesus, let's run for Jesus, let's run for Jesus. Well, everybody there knew what that meant other than me. It's pretty obvious at this point that I'm the visitor. I'm the lone stranger back here. And so everyone, the little, little old ladies, they grabbed the babies, and everybody jumped out into the aisle. And every, I mean, everybody ran, and we all ran. You've been there. You were raised that way. How many of you raised that way? Wait a minute. Ooh, I better stop right now. I am in deep weeds, and tomorrow is an election day. Oh, Lord, what a message. What a story, Mick. So, Lord, I don't even know where this is coming from. <laughs> so, so we ran. And I... I I said, you know, if I don't run soon, everybody's already passed me once, so they start passing me again. One of them's liable to grab me, pull me out into the flow. I might get hurt. So I stepped out, and I ran. And I ran for Jesus, and I ran for Jesus down the aisle, across the front, up the aisle, and right out the front door. Sure, I'm sure I missed something that was happening that night. I'm kind of glad. Should I do the handling snakes joke at this? No. My wife just said, don't do it. Don't do it. Unless you want a bunch of no votes tomorrow morning. <laughs> Revive. Repentance is one. And this will make you happy. How about we exalt Christ? I said, how about we exalt Jesus Christ as Lord over all? Not just with words we speak. Not with just a little fish on the back of our car. Not with a bumper sticker, my friend. Not with attending a church. Not with shouting when the preacher is preaching in a church. But by living it with our lives. How about we exalt Jesus Christ? How about this? How about total strangers who don't know us can tell something different about us because our lifestyle exalts Jesus Christ? Do your neighbors across the street know you're a Christian? I mean, do they? What about that little waitress when you leave the restaurant? Does she know you're a Christian? I don't mean to leave her your little Bible tracks in place of a tip. 
I thought it might get a little quiet. I know people who do that. I know people who are waitresses. My wife was a waitress before I ever met her. A long time ago. How many of you ladies have waited tables and gentlemen have waited tables, served the public in that way? Isn't that incredible? How many of you appreciate somebody leaving you a piece of paper rather than money? I believe Christians ought to be the best tipper in the house. Now don't shout because it's the right thing to do. But if you agree with that and you're going to practice that, shout amen. I got you there. Best tipper in the house. 10%? Who said 10%? Listen, a lot of those folks are having trouble making their car payments and house payments and they got daycare for their kids. Am I telling it right, Teresa Miller? You come in there and, and you, you come in after a Sunday night service or a Wednesday night, about 15 of you in there, and you're, you, you're slopping food everywhere and she's doing her very best to keep up with everybody's demands on her. When you rattle your tea glass at her, are you kidding me? We act like <laughs> we wouldn't think of doing that anywhere else. You don't do that when you come to my house. If you need more to drink, you don't rattle something at my wife. I'll rattle something at you, Jack. <laughs> hey, I'm having fun. This is very therapeutic for me. Thank you very much. Y'all having a good time out there? I'm just going to vent a little bit. Exalt Jesus. Exalt Christ. You see, a revived heart has an overwhelming desire to exalt Jesus more than anything else. More than anything else. I love to watch sports. I, I, I used to love to watch NFL football to the guys political and these guys started kneeling down when my national anthem was, when my national anthem was being played. And uh, I used to watch the Olympics till these girls started turning their backs on the American flag. The nation that paid for them to be there. Paid for their years of training so they wouldn't have to work on a job. The nation that would provide for them millions of dollars if they win those, those $92 gold, um, what do you call it? Gold medal, thank you. I guess it's about, it used to be $92 worth of gold, I don't know. But you bring one of those home and you, you, you can guarantee a million dollar contract. To, to peddle shoes or milk or used to, they used to put you on the Wheaties box when I was a kid. I guess they still do. And then you have the gall to, to turn your back on our nation really? like that. Yeah. I wish we had time tonight to hear from every one of our workers on foreign fields who have traveled cross-culturally from this nation, the nation with more opulence and wealth and privilege than any other nation on the face of the earth. I wish we had time, David, to talk to them and hear from them about what this nation means to them after living in the nations in which they have lived. I wish we could send every one of those uh, spoiled millionaire athletes to a foreign land to live. Donnie, why don't you take some back with you to Ghana? Get them to help to build, the, build those churches in the heat where there ain't no toilet around anywhere close by. Yeah. Exalt Jesus. I don't know where this message is going, but sure sounding good. I'm having fun. Oh, yes, an idol, an idol, an idol. You see, we're called to exalt Jesus more than anything, even more than an idol of ourselves, more than an idol of sports. Like I said, I used to love to watch sports, but I realized it became an idol in my life. All I wanted to talk about, think about, hear about was sports, one form or another. And uh, it's so easy how anything can be exalted in our lives yes. above Jesus. Doesn't mean I didn't love Jesus, but I tell you what, I was, I was loving other things and exalting other things. And if you've been guilty of the same, just whisper amen. Yeah, there you go. Nobody heard you, but we've all been guilty. 
See, a revived heart sees Jesus Christ high and lifted up, as did uh, Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah uh, chapter 6. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, my, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne. Remember reading this? High and lifted up. And his train, his glory filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. Two he covered his feet. With two he did fly. One cried unto another constantly. Cried to another just every day, all day, every evening, every night. I don't know about time in heaven, but they just continuously were crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What were they doing? They were exalting the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah saw that. He saw that Jesus was being lifted high. You see, when revival comes, we won't be talking about revival coming. We'll be talking about Jesus. When revival comes, we, we sure enough are not going to be talking about our neighbor. Revival may not come. We need to be talking about Jesus. Exalting Christ includes loving him with all of our heart and our mind, our soul, and our strength, Mark 12 and 30. And walking with him moment by moment. So that our life revolves around him. Colossians 3 and 4 tells us that we died to this life. Do we understand the concept here? Paul put it another way to the Galatian church. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Now that's, that church, that whatever century Paul was writing that in, church understood what crucifixion was. They knew exactly what it meant to be crucified. In fact, no one ever came down off of a cross alive. When you were placed on a cross for crucifixion, it was a sure death. And the way the Romans did it, you were, you were whipped and tortured to within an inch of your life before they ever put you on the cross. They didn't want you up there all day. They wanted you as close to dead as possible so that it happened and get you off the cross and get somebody else up there. To within an inch of your life. They would beat you before placing you on the cross. So, so the writer is talking about a death to self, a death to our own ideals, a death to what we want in this life. In fact, if you're waiting for God to, to, to somehow miraculously give you your best life ever and give you as much comfort as humanly possible on this planet, you're going to be waiting a long time. But if you're willing to lay down yourself to the point of death to yourself, then you're at the place where the life of Christ can be revealed through you. Is this all right? Am I preaching okay? Or is this, is this weird or something? Okay. All right. So, so not only do we die to this life, but Christ is our life. When Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, he said, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He said, now the life I now live... I don't even live by my own ability or power. I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live my life. Is that how you live your life? And corporately, we're, we're to exalt Christ as we worship with our church family and as we give the preaching of his word a full entrance into our hearts. May I step back on the soapbox for a moment, please? Thank you very much. I got the microphone. I heard recently a young person had declared, you know, I love Jesus, but I just hate his church. How many of you have heard that from someone or heard that? Well, you just heard it from me. <laughs> I love Jesus, but why hate his church? And here's what I tell our congregation. I said, listen, you can, you know, you can love or hate me or whatever, but if you say that you hate my wife, yeah. brother, those are fighting words. Yes, I love Pastor Mickey, boy, that Miss Glenda. I, don't know, I just don't like her. I don't. Uh, I think I even hate her. No, wait a second. Jesus died for His church. His church is His bride. He paid His own blood for the, the, the bride, the bride of Christ, the church. You can't declare that you love Jesus, but yet hate His bride. I know. I know what this. This. I know where this mentality's going. I, I get it. Basically, we're saying, I love Jesus, but I don't love the, you know, the, the, the politics and the, all the stuff that goes along with a church. Maybe you've been hurt in a local church or you've been wounded or whatever. And I say to you, get over it. And um, did I say get over it? 
Good, good. I was hoping you'd catch that. <laughs> I know where that's coming from. I, I love, I, you know, I don't necessarily love what happens in church. Well, listen, I've been in church all my life, and I don't love things that happen in church. But that does not deter my love for the Master. Because in spite of me and in spite of you, Jesus still loves us. Yes, he does. Henry Blackaby said, powerful preaching is a hallmark of true revival. He said, revival preachers demonstrate their commitment to the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures. With bold, urgent, uncompromising preaching as they set before God's people the way of life and death. Powerful, spirit-filled sermons concerning sin and Christ and the cross penetrate the hearts of the saved and the lost alike with the realities of eternity. That, my friend, is a preacher who preaches about magnifying Jesus, lifting him up. God, give us every preacher in this room tonight, every preacher in our fellowship. Give us this kind of heart to lift up Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. See, there is no revival without making Christ preeminent and making his word primary. If you built your revival on something else, you're kidding yourself. Revival is not signs and wonders and miracles. Revival is not gold flecks falling or feathers falling. Revival is exalting Jesus. It's making his word primary. Now listen, if I haven't offended you already tonight, feel free to come up to me after church and I'll give you a private offense. <laughs> if I happen to miss you, you just come on up and say, you didn't talk about my deal. And I said, well, what is your deal? I'm giving you my opinion about it. <laughs> or I'll say, if I want your opinion, I'll give you one. <laughs> Number three. Number three. Value Christ. We show what we value by what we seek first in our list of priorities. Christ calls us to seek him and his kingdom first. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. What things? The things you've just been speaking of, meat and drink, clothing, all those things that that we work so hard for. We hurry and scurry and worry to make all those things happen. And, you know, Jesus said, your father, he knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He places lilies in the field and they're more beautiful than anything Solomon ever created or produced. And yet he cares for you. So stop worrying about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna put on. Stop worrying, I said, stop worrying about those things. Wow and put first in your list of priorities to seek God, to seek Christ in his kingdom. This is more than just praying first thing in the morning. I, we, we used to do a, a prayer time at 6.33 a.m. on Mondays at our church in Shawnee years ago, back when I could get up at 6.33 in the morning. I'm just teasing. And, and I said, folks, we're gonna put Jesus first, Matthew 6.33, first day of the week, work week, first, uh, first thing of the day. We're going to come together. And that's, that's good to work that kind of a, an idea so folks can get a hold of that and, and, and hang on to it. But it's, that's not what it's really all about. It's really all about seeking him first in your list of priorities. What is priority number one in your life? Is it your spouse? Is it your family? Is it those beautiful grandchildren God gave you? Is it your home? Is it your job? Is it your vocation, your occupation? Is it your sports? Is it your recreational vehicle? What is first on your list of priorities? Listen, anything you value higher than God on your list of priorities becomes an idol to you. Oh, an idol. Idolatry, according to what happened to the children of Israel, who are our examples that we learned from, idolatry always led them into bondage. Could it be that idolatry always leads us into spiritual bondage? Well, now I'm so bound up, I'm so occupied, so preoccupied now, I don't have time to put Jesus first. I don't have time to exalt Christ. I don't have time to value him. I don't have time to repent. I've, I've got to work 80, 90 hours a week just to make these bills, just to take care of all these things that I've devoted myself to. Have I made them an idol in my life? Hmm. 
Boy, y'all not going to love me anymore when this is over. You're just going to say, let's don't ever let him preach at one of our conferences ever again. Ever. The writer John Strombeck said in the book Disciplined by Grace, I quote, the Holy Spirit never leads anyone to look at himself and his own accomplishments, but only and always at Christ and his work. And this is a good picture of a, of a revived heart. When we value Christ, see, when we value him, we'll not only seek him, but we will make his passion our passion. We will make his mission our mission. We'll seek souls uh, for his kingdom personally and regularly. Jesus said it this way. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I think we've got that in the ESV on, on, the, on the screen for you. Is that right, Sabrina? Do we have it, Luke 19.10? But, but I, want to, I want to take you back to the King James for a moment. No, wait a minute, that is King James. Hold on. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That is King James. Hallelujah. Does ESV put it that way too? No. I want to hang, just keep that there because there's a word, there's a four-letter word I want to direct your attention to. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Direct your attention to the word that. He came to see, seek and save that which was lost. Not only did he come to seek and save people who were lost, but he came to seek and to redeem that which was lost from our lives. Our identity as a child of God. Our purpose. Our destiny in him. Our righteousness in Christ Jesus. The things that have been lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost and put all things back in order. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We, can't, we, we, we cannot say we value Christ if we don't value the work that he came to this earth to do. Number four, the fourth letter is the letter I. It stands for simply the word intercede. I've never heard of a revival that was not preceded by intercessory prayer. It did not result in a renewal of prayer among God's people. Yeah. So could I ask you a personal question? I mean, after all, I've been asking everything else. How's your prayer life? Is it indicative of ongoing prayer, prayer for your church? I thank God for the people who pray for their pastor in our church. I don't know what I would do without the prayers of the saints. Amen. 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 Do you pray for your community and your leaders? Do you pray for those who lead and who serve? Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy to his, his, his protege. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications and prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks uh, would be made for all men. And then he went on to say, not just all men, but for those who are in authority over us, leaders, pray for them as well. Even more important, how's your, how's your prayer life? Is it consistent? Is it growing? It's not possible to be a revived Christian without being a non... With, it is not possible that a revived Christian will be a non-praying Christian. Number five, volunteer. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, three things happened. First, he responded in repentance. Uh, then, then, then he, he, you know, you come, <laughs> you come in contact with the greatness of God. What can you do? He repented, man. He said, "He said, I, I'm unworthy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just not worthy. I'm of a people that are unworthy. I'm, my, my, my mouth, my tongue, my words, everything about me is unworthy. I'm filthy. I'm nasty. I'm, I'm without. I'm, with, I'm undone. And then he was." Purified with a coal from the altar. There's an angel brought a coal and purified him. And then what happened? The third thing that happened is he volunteered to serve. Look at verse 8 with me. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. You ever, you ever read that little, little tiny prayer of Jabez? There was a book written about it several years ago by it was Bruce, Bruce Wilkerson, I think, wrote the book, 
the prayer of Jabez. Boy, that thing was, that's a powerful concept if you get hold of it. He says you're reading along in the, in the begats and you're just, it's good sleeping reading, you know, it puts you to sleep. Sort of like my sermon's doing some of y'all right now. And uh, another reason I don't want this second night anymore, everybody's a little tired after last night. My Lord, that guy worked us over last night. We were jumping and running and shouting and screaming. And uh, then all day, but here we are. And so he said, he said, you're reading along, and then all of a sudden, out of the, out of the text is this, this interesting little verse, and it tells you about this guy named Jabez. And he said, Jabez was more honorable. And he says, Jabez, basically, here it is in my terms, in my wording. He says, Jabez got his prayers answered. He got his prayer answered. Now, if someone tells you a prayer that got answered, you kind of want to investigate it, correct? And so you investigate it, and you can begin to look at all the wonderful things that happened. One of those things that Jabez did, he said, Lord, would you enlarge my coast? Would you enlarge my territory? Will you give me more to do? Here am I, Lord. Send me and give me more. There are plenty of people who are sitting in rocking chairs spiritually, and they're just waiting for the trumpet to sound so they can rock one final time on the front porch of, of that little house of, of apathy that they live in. <laughs> waiting for the rapture. <laughs> Good song on the rapture of the coming of the Lord, by the way, young man. And, and just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. There are plenty of people doing that. Does anybody know people like that? Don't look at them right now. Just look straight ahead. Sure we do. So when somebody comes along and says, Lord, I'm not content with what I have. I want more for your kingdom. I want more souls for my labor. I want to see your work accomplished. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see mighty things worked and wrought in my city and my nation and my fellowship and my church. God, that's me. I'm a Jabez. I want more. And God says, I love it when I hear that. I'll just give you some more. You know, revival always results in a voluntary spirit of service for Christ. When we see Christ as he is, we realize the privilege it is to serve him. And we have no greater desire than to remain faithful to him. We return to a servant's heart as we remember our eternal reward of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant. Everybody say servant. And the sixth uh, letter, the final letter in my acronym for the word revive is to evangelize. I said, well, yeah, I knew that. That, that goes without saying. You evangelize. What are you talking about? Well, you see, there's no true revival that does not result in lost people coming to Christ. This is true for two reasons. Number one, true revival all, uh, gives us a renewed emphasis on the spread of God's word. Uh, and uh, let me go to Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And secondly, revived hearts make much of Jesus Christ and his mission. That's what a revived heart does. See, someone's unrevived, it's, you know, it's wonderful that I'm a Christian and serving God. We're going to get there one of these days. Love you. Come and go to church with us. It's all good. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. A revived heart goes forth, the psalmist declared, he goes forth and weeping, bearing precious seed. That individual shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. See, when revival comes, ministry flows from our hearts to our hands. And we not only love the gospel, but we will, we, 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 with believing hearts and sincere hearts, we share the gospel. May I suggest to you, it's not enough for me as a pastor to tell my people to share the gospel if I'm not willing to share the gospel. Hmm. And when that sharing is accomplished by and accompanied by the filling of the Holy Spirit, souls will be saved. It may not happen immediately, but eventually there will be fruit to the glory of God. Jesus said in John 15, Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. 
Would you agree he's looking for fruit-bearing Christians tonight? Stand with me, would you please? So tonight, as I close, I, I, I ask the question, do you desire a revived heart? Do you long for the reviving work of God in your life? So we can't organize revival, but we can prepare for a revival. We can humble ourselves before the Lord. We can do that tonight. We can start right now humbling ourselves before the Lord. That's what I like about this fellowship. Boy, I love being around these ministers. You ever been around ministers who are proud and arrogant and think they're all that inside of fries and a, and a Diet Coke? Yeah. And then you come around to our guys, it's just like, man, I like you. I, I like your heart. I like what you're saying, and I appreciate that. And, and, and so we can humble ourselves tonight before the Lord. We can ask for his reviving work of grace. Reviving work of grace. And go with me one last time to that verse out of Isaiah. I think we'll have to go back for it, Sabrina. It's probably back there on the beginning of the message, Isaiah 57 and 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the high and lofty one, not hofty, but lofty one. Y'all never going to forget that, are Never let me live it down. One that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Hallelujah. Here's what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him, now did you catch this? I dwell with him who's of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. To revive the heart of the contrite ones. God, revive my heart. Revive my heart. Can you just lift your hands for a moment? Just close your eyes. And say this out loud with me. Just say, Dear God, revive my heart. Burn within me the fire of the Holy Spirit. May I be accustomed to revival. Come on, say it out loud. May I be accustomed to revival. May I never be content unless the Spirit of God is moving through me. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I receive a supernatural touch tonight from your spirit, not from the hand of man, not from an organization, but from you, O oh God. You're the one I humble myself before. You're the one that I bear my soul to. And I say, revive me, O oh God. Revive my family. Revive my church. Revive the ministry which I work. Oh God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now just call upon the Lord in your own words. Would you do that in your own way? Just call out to him. Come on, lift your voice and begin to cry out to the Lord. Maybe in a prayer, maybe in worship, maybe in a song, however you want to. Just reach out to the Lord now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Jesus